Welcome to all those joining us for the Shir and Chaim Maharan. We're continuing in the section Maila Sahispoidus, the tremendous benefit of speaking to Hashem in your own words. We dedicate the learning today, Li'ilu Nishmas Sholaim Bereb Chaim Moshe, whose yard site is on the 21st of Teves, and Li'ilu Nishmas Dvoira Bas Reb Tzvi, and Toiba Itl Bas Rebeliezer, whose yard sites are on the 22nd of Teves. We won't be having a shear on that day, so therefore we're dedicating the shear today, Le'ilu Nishmasa. Paragraph Tuf Mem Beis, 442. One of Rabbeinazal's close students was Reb Shmuel Isaac. And Rabbeinazal spoke to him in his younger years and said to him, that when he's having his spiritus, when he's speaking to Hashem in private, pouring out his heart to Hashem, he should also speak to each one of the organs of his body, to his eyes, to his ears, and to explain to each one of the organs of the body how all of the physical desires are nonsense, because in the end the person is going to pass away, the body is going to be buried and, and disintegrate, and all the individual organs are going to disintegrate. And Rabbi Nassau told him to speak, to actually speak to the organs of the body in this way, in order to get them to subdue themselves, to accept upon themselves the, the, the will of Hashem. This student, Rabbi Shmuel Isaac, did this for a period of time, and afterwards he met Rabbi Nassau, and he complained that he said, my body isn't listening. And, and and the the parts of my body don't seem to feel, even though I'm speaking to them and explaining to them, they don't seem to feel it. Rabbi Nezal said to him, keep doing it. Keep doing it regularly, consistently. Don't, don't hold back in any way. And you're going to see what's going to come from these words. Sure enough, he listened to Rabbi Nezal's advice, and he did it to the point where he was zeicher, that each and every single part of his body that he would speak to in detail was drawn to his words, would, would accept what he was saying to the point where it would feel as if it lost its power, it turned itself off completely, and he was left without any feeling at all in that part of the body, if he spoke to his hands or his feet, whatever it was. And he was able to see this with the external organs, with his fingers, his toes, etc., to the point where the organs, the inner organs, like the heart, the lungs, those, he had to be careful and limit what he was saying in order that his his life, his chiyus, should not leave him completely. And Rav Nassar writes, I heard that one time, Reb Shmuel Isaac was speaking to some of his students, people that were close to him, and he was speaking to them, he was giving Musar, he was speaking about the fact that this world, the physical, materialistic world, is nonsense. And, and what's it going to matter? A person goes, has another meal, eats something more, or any kind of physical pleasure, what, what remains from it? And as he was speaking he fainted, 
and and he started they started seeing that it looked like he was about to pass away and they had to work very hard to bring him back to revive him and Reb Shmuel Isaac said then that he was through the holiness of his Rebbe Rabbeinazal what Rabbeinazal taught him that whenever he reminds himself of of, of Yiras Oinish, of these serious punishments in heaven for a person who chas does the wrong things in this world, and he reminds himself of what the end is going to be, of all the nonsense, in, again, in this world, all the organs of his body feel it. Even the, the little toe on his foot feels it, they feel as if they're already lying in the grave and as if they're starting to disintegrate to the point where it takes tremendous strength to be able to hold on to the life inside of him, that his neshama shouldn't leave him completely. Now, obviously, this is an incredible question in the chat. Is it recommended to practice this talking to the body or is this not for regular people? The answer is... This student, Rabbi Shmuel Isaac, was known as one of the unusual, extraordinary students of Rabbi Nachman. So, in terms of a person reaching the kind of levels that are described here, a person we should not necessarily expect that we can achieve that. However, however, we need to know that the neshama, the soul of a person, is inside of a person, and it exists inside of each and every organ. When a person studies biology, they learn about the nervous system, and they learn when somebody bangs their finger or they bang their toe, and, and the person says, ouch, it hurts. Who's saying ouch? Is the toe saying ouch? And the answer is that we're taught that there are wires, there are nerves in the toe that go all the way up to the brain. And from the entire body, from head to toe of a person's body, there are these nerves which as long as these nerves are allow are, are alive, if somebody does something, if something hurt, somebody hurts that part of the body, the person feels that they experience pain because again, the nerve in, inside that tooth or whatever part of the body is, the nerve experiences what's happening, con- communicates that up to the brain. And the brain sends down a message to pull away, to pull the hand away. person accidentally puts their finger near a fire and suddenly it starts, they start feeling hot and the person pulls their finger away. That required this whole process to take place. <clears throat> That's on a physical level. On a spiritual level, we know that when the Shulchan Aruch speaks about Shabbos, the laws of Shabbos, and, and if a person amputates, cuts off a part of the body on Shabbos, <clears throat> they're chayev because of netilas neshama, taking away the soul of the person. What do you mean? The person isn't dead, they're alive. The answer is that each and every part of the body has part of the neshama inside of it. <clears throat> so that, for example, when we talk about the eyes of a person, which are so important, the, the Gemara tells us that it's human nature that the eyes see, the heart desires, and the rest of the body falls into line to execute whatever it is to take the thing that the person desires. So that generally, the first step in, in a person being led to do something, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing is, the eyes seeing it. 
And this is why the Torah teaches us that it's important for a person to, to be able to control their eyes, to be able to control what I look at, what I don't look at. And even if something comes within my vision for a moment, the, the Torah teaches us if a person sees something that they're not allowed, they're not supposed to look at, for seeing it, for that first second, the person isn't committing any crime. If they hold on to it, if they stay there after that, or they go back for another look, that's where the person is crossing a red line. They're committing a sin, which is punishable, chas v'shalom. So here again, a person could speak to their eyes and say, Hashem created you, and Hashem gave you the ability to see, and, and I need you, I need you desperately to be able to read words of Torah and tefillah, to be able to look at tzaddikim, to be able to look at the sky and get Yerah Shemayim from that, <clears throat> and I need you to be careful not to look where you're not supposed to look. A person could, this is, you talk about a person talking to themselves, they're talking, to, they're talking in a serious way to, to individual parts of the body and instructing the, that part of the body to, that you were created to perform the will of Hashem, to serve Hashem. If you do it, you'll be rewarded and we'll all be rewarded. If chas v'shom, you go against the will of Hashem, all of us are going to suffer in the process. So this is, this can be an aspect of a person's hispoiridus. In addition to speaking to Hashem, of course, for the person to be able to talk to the, the parts of their body or to talk to themselves. And this is something, this is not just a breastful thing. Those that know, it's written about the Chofetz Chaim, Zechet Tzadik Levracha, that the Chofetz Chaim used to spend an hour to two hours a day on Chesh Nefesh. He would go into a private room and he would speak. He would speak to Hashem and he would speak to himself. And there were students who at times were able to hear some of what he said, how he would say his name was Rabbi Yisrael Meir. Yisrael Meir, what's going to be with you? What are you doing? Why are you doing? Why aren't you doing better? They would hear him speaking to himself, speaking again to his neshama, speaking inside of himself to, to motivate himself to want to come closer to Hashem. Any other questions, please? The next paragraph, Tuf Mem Gimel 443, Rav Nassim says that I heard, I heard it told over in the name of Rav Nassim that he told, he, he spoke to some people and he said to them, because your body is so megushim, is so thick and so powerful in its physical, materialistic desires, therefore, you have to fill it up with a lot of words of Kedusha about what the ultimate purpose of man is, what, what life is really all about. And Rav Zal says, and therefore we could understand that in addition to speaking words of Torah, and in addition to speaking to Hashem, Rabbi Nezal was implying a person speaking to themselves a lot, giving myself words of encouragement sometimes, that I, 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 shouldn't, I shouldn't allow myself to be lazy, to be weak, when I need to be strong. 
And Rav Nassau says we see this actually in the some of the stanzas of the song that was written <coughs> by Rabbeinazal. Rabbeinazal wrote a song, it's called a Shir Yedidus, that appears in some Likutim Rans, in front of the Likutim Ran, in some in back. Some have it as a separate entity. And in some of the stanzas of, of that, that it's, it's sort of like a, a poetry, a very, an incredible, beautiful song that Rabbeinazal wrote, where he, he says, don't pee like an elephant that allows itself to be led by a mouse. Those that know in a circus sometimes when they want to lead an elephant in a certain... And, and again, referring, speaking to himself in a sense, and giving himself words of chizuk, words of inspiration, words of motivation. And in fact, we find, we actually find this in our daily tefillah. Rav Zal points out in the morning, in the before we get to Psuke de Zimra, in the part before that, after the Akedah, when we say Shamayim, a person should should always have respect for Hashem and a person should speak the truth in their heart. And and it says there, the person should say, What are we? What is our strength? What is our we we're nothing. Levad haneshama. The only thing that really is important is the neshama that Hashem put inside of us. And again, we say avala, and and we say that on one hand we're nothing and nobody, but then we finish off on an upswing by saying avalanachnu amcha benevri secha. However, Hashem, we are your chosen nation. We are the descendants of those who made a covenant with you. Ashrenu matoyev how lucky we are. And these words, in addition to the fact that we're speaking to Hashem, we're speaking to ourselves. These words a person is saying to, to myself to inspire myself and to motivate myself to be excited about being in shul, about davening in the morning, about putting on a talis and tefillin. And, and the words that I'm going to say now, the words of tefillin, the words of Torah, how special it really is. Rabbi Nezal speaks about this a little bit further in Likut Imran, in chapter in the second half of Likut Imran, all the way at the end, where are these? There, there are these appendixes, the paragraph one hundred and twenty-five. There, Kuf Chafei. Rabbi Nezal speaks about this. How we start off over there, saying, "What are we? What? 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 What's ours? What's our strength compared to Hashem? We're nothing. We're nobody." But then we don't leave it at that. We end up giving ourselves tremendous words of encouragement, saying, Anachnu amcha b'nei v'risecha, b'nei Avram, Yitzhak, v'yakov, etc. This concludes this sh- short section on the, the benefits of Hispoidus. Now we go into another section called Avoidas Hashem, serving Hashem. And this section itself has several subsections we'll have some very, very interesting things that are going to come up in this section of, of Chaim Aran. Paragraph 444. Rav writes, Rabbi Nezal was once talking to me and he expressed his desire that he wanted me to be appointed an Av Bezn, a posek, 
a leading posseik in a particular in a community, in a particular community. And I asked Rabbeinazal that I'm very worried about this. I, I, I get very nervous and, and concerned, and I actually get down worrying about this, about being posek halacha, being declaring, making decisions in halacha, that, saying this is, a woman comes to me with a chicken that was shechted this way, though, whether it's kosher or not kosher, I'm very, very afraid of, of giving the wrong decision, making the wrong decision. And Rabbi Nezal said to me, what do you have to worry about? As long as you have a qualified posseg to rely on, as long as you've learned the halachas, you've learned the Shulchan Aruch, and there is an authority in the Shulchan Aruch that says that this is kosher, let's say, then you don't have to be afraid. You have whom to rely on. And Rabbi Nezal clarifies this by saying, I'm sorry, Reb Nachman Chirin actually, who organized the Chaimaran, writes that obviously Rabbi Nezal was not referring to just any opinion, that as long as there's, there's an opinion that says this is okay, so then you have who to rely on. We're talking about a, an opinion, a, an authoritative opinion, whom people follow, people accept. Once there is that kind of a, an authority and an opinion in that direction, if a rabbi chooses to rely on that opinion, he doesn't have to be afraid that he's doing something wrong, he's committing a sin. But obviously we're referring, we're referring to rabbis who have studied, studied Gemara well, studied Halacha well, and have studied the, the rules of how we paskin Halacha, which, which are the authoritative which are the authoritative uh, rabbis in terms of declaring halacha and, and in terms of, and when there is a debate between two, the, the Sephardic community whom they tend to follow, the Ashkenaz community whom they tend to follow, etc. There are obviously rules and things a person needs to know about this, but Rabbein is always saying that a person doesn't have to, there are certain people who are totally paralyzed when they see that there's a debate about a certain issue, then how, how, I, I can't know, I can't decide, I can't judge. And a rabbi who has studied enough, who has studied seriously by rabbis and has been given ordination, has been given smicha, that a reliable, authoritative rabbi said, you know you have enough knowledge, you've studied these, these parts of the Torah well enough to be qualified to answer questions and to make decisions in these items, the person can feel confident in giving a decision. We know that Rabbein Azal in Likud Imran speaks about Birur Hamedame, that there is a concept very often, especially today, many of the questions that come up in Halacha are not necessarily written in the original code of law, in the original books of law. Baruch Hashem, today there are Sfarim, that have been written throughout the generations up until today, where rabbis of the previous generation, whether it be Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, the Debrezinerov in America, different leading rabbis, or in Eretz Yisrael, leading rabbis here, <coughs> Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Arbach, Rabbi Yashiv, other authority, authorities, <coughs> the Minchas Yitzchok, who have, who have written down the questions that were brought to them and the answers that they gave, and explaining how they derived their answers. These forum of Shilas and Shuvas, 
Baruch Hashem, there are many Sfarim available that discuss current day questions that come up. But still very often, there isn't the exact question that's being asked to a rabbi. And the rabbi has to use some personal judgment that this question that's being asked to me, is it similar to A or is it similar to B? Is it similar to A, which rabbis have taught is permissible because of the following reasons? Or is it more like B, which the rabbis have decided is forbidden because of reasons, even though it's sort of in between. So here a person needs the ability to be able to judge properly in terms of comparing one thing to another. And this requires, number one, a lot of knowledge, and it requires divine assistance. And sometimes there could be a case, <clears throat> during the life of Rabbi Nassau, there was a rabbi of a city, and Rabbi Nassau told one of his students, Whatever this rabbi, whatever decision this rabbi gives in halacha, you say the opposite. And, and you'll be confident that you'll be right. And sure enough, this, the, the, the student who Rabbein Azal said this to was himself a tremendous Talmud Chacham, very learned. And Rabbein Azal told him this, he upheld it. And then at some point, the rabbi of the city was, was sore how off he was, because this student was able to show clearly that the rabbi had made the wrong choice, the wrong comparison, the wrong decision. And the rabbi ended up having to leave the city. This rabbi had issues, obviously. And that's why Rabbi Nezal was able to make a statement like that, that whatever he says, you could know, you could feel confident that the, the actual law is the opposite. And again, if you look carefully in the authoritative poiskim, you'll be able to see that he made the wrong comparison, he made the wrong decision. The next point, Tuf Memhei 445, Rav Zal says there were several incidents where people came to Rav Nezal and they were very, very sick. And it was obvious that they, they were not going to survive the illness. It was a fatal illness. And Rabbi Nassau would speak to them, he would console them and give them encouragement and say, what do you have to worry? You don't have to be afraid of dying. The, the, the future world is very beautiful. It's much, much better than, than down here, than what you're going through down here. The, the, this paragraph and the two paragraphs following it are connected, so we're going to do them together and then we'll take questions. <clears throat> Rav Nassau says we were once standing in front of Rav Nassau on a on the Sunday after Shabbos Nachamu, a, a little more than a year before Rav Nassau passed away, in the year 5,569. We know Rav Nassau passed away in the beginning of 5,000. 571. <clears throat> and they were leading a coffin close to the windows of Rabbi Nezal's house. We know where Rabbi Nezal was living in Uman at the time, the windows faced the cemetery. So they were leading, the, there was a funeral procession, and they were walking with the coffin past the windows of Rabbi Nezal's house, <clears throat> and the people were walking and crying and eulogizing this person who had passed away. And Rabbi Nassau spoke up and said to, to the students that were with him at the time, he said, that person in the coffin could be laughing. 
he's probably, he's, he's laughing that they're crying over him, they're mourning, it's so sad that this person left the world, <clears throat> as if to say, wow, it would have been so great if this person could have lived longer and suffer more in this world, all the suffering in this world, <clears throat> and experience more bitterness. Rabbi Nezal said in Yiddish, Amer Volsnoch Farshvatzvorn of the Welt, that the person would have been dark in Yiddish. The expression Farshvatz means a person going through a lot of difficulty and suffering in this world. So Rabbi Nezal says, I spoke up and I said to Rabbi Nezal, but just a moment, even in the next world, this person is going to probably experience suffering. <clears throat> Because he wasn't such a big tzaddik that we can assume that he's not going to have suffering. The chibut hagever, <clears throat> the suffering that a person experiences in the grave during the time that the body is in the grave <clears throat> until it fully disintegrates. And then Gehenim chas v'shalom. So if that's the case, so over there also this person is going to be suffering. And Rabbi Nezal responded, so what? At least it'll finish over there. <clears throat> they'll they'll experience. They might experience some suffering, but afterwards it'll be over, and the person will receive the reward for whatever good things they did while they were living in this world. So Rav Nosanzal says, I persisted, and I asked Rav Nosanzal, but what about Gilgulim? What about reincarnation? We know that that the Arizal tells us that many, many people have to come back to this world again and again in order to correct mistakes of the past and in order to complete the entire Torah as best as that person can. The Arizal quotes the Pasuk, Torah Hashem Temimo Meshivas Nefesh. The Torah of Hashem is complete. It restores the soul. That's one, one, one translation of it. Another translation is that in order to complete the Torah, Torah Sashem Tamima, Meshivas Nefesh, the soul has to return, come back to this world again and again, and go through all kinds of different circumstances and situations in order for the person to be able to fulfill the Torah to the best degree that that person can. So Rav Nasazal said, this, what about Gilgulim? could be this person will have to come back down to this world. And if that, that's the case, <clears throat> so what's so good about the fact that now they passed away and, and, and they've left the suffering in the world, they might be back here soon again. And here's where Rabbi Nezal said something incredible. Rabbi Nezal said, if the person wants, they can insist in heaven, in front of the heavenly court, they can insist that no matter what, they don't want to come back down to this world. They don't want to be reincarnated. So Rav Nusenzal says, I asked Rav Nusenzal, it, it if a person says, I don't want, that helps? And Rav Nusenzal said, definitely. It definitely helps. If the person really insists 100% and says, do whatever you want to do with me up here, whatever punishment I have to endure up here, whatever suffering... I accept it, but no matter what, I don't want to go back. 
I don't want to run the risk of coming back down to the world and making things worse for myself, chas Sometimes a person comes down to this world, begilgul, to be reincarnated, to improve their soul, and chas the time they spend in this world, ends up being a setback, chas And Rav Zal says, Rav Zal said these words, Ekt mit mir do, do whatever you want to do with me here, whatever <coughs> suffering it, over here. And Rabbi Nezah said the person definitely can insist and, and be granted their wish. And Rabbi Nezah writes, I repeated this several times. I made sure to ask Rabbi Nezah this several times to, to make, does it really help to make sure that I understood this correctly, that there was no chance of a, of a mistake or misinterpreting in any way. And Rabbi Nezah said, definitely, if the person will really be stubborn and unrelenting and not willing to take no for an answer at all, a person does have the right to insist. And Rabbi Nezah says, I, t- I put this into my head very, very solidly to make make sure that I wouldn't forget this so that maybe I'll be zeicher when I get to the heavenly court to make sure to avoid chas no matter what, avoid having to come back down to this world to be reincarnated. Because no matter what, a person never knows when they're coming back down to this world what kind of circumstances, what kind of situations they're going to be put in and, and chas what it can do, the damage that a person can do to themselves in this world. And, and anything is better than coming back down, being reincarnated into this world. And, and having the sakona, the tremendous danger, chas v'shon, that a person can experience in this world. Rav Nassim finishes with a prayer. Hashem should help us, at least from, from now on, to do a real complete tshuva, the way Hashem wants us to do. Now here, I'd like to add a few very important points. One point that appears in the, the English version of Chaim and Sadik, which is <clears throat> that Rabbi Yisroel Karduna, who was one of the giants in Breslov in the previous generation, one of the great Sadikim Oivdim, who was very highly respected, He's the one who published, who printed many of Reb Nachman Shirin's Sfarim. Just a moment. Yes. He received a letter from Reb Alter Tepliker, who was the author, again, of, some, of several Sfarim the others, Rebalta Teplika wrote to Rabbi Yisrael Karduna that even after Rab Zal wrote what he wrote here, Rab Zal once said that if he were if he were offered if he were offered an opportunity to come back down to this world, to go through reincarnation Gilgul, and he would be guaranteed that he would be allowed to visit Rabbi Nachman's grave once and to be able to say the Tikkun HaKloli, he would be willing to accept Gilgul. He would be willing to accept reincarnation. And this was said in order to give us a, an, an idea, a realization 
of how special this is, the privilege of a person going to Rabbein Azal's kever and reciting these 10 chapters of Tehillim there, the way Rabbein Azal specified, is so great a tikkun that Rav Nosanzal wasn't worried, he wasn't concerned about coming back down to this world again, the Gilgal, as long as he would be guaranteed that he would have the opportunity for that one visit. Now, he wasn't talking about Rosh Hashanah. This was any time, any time during the year. This is how important and special this is. And I heard this from my Rebbe Rav Rosenfeld, I heard it from my Rebbe Rav Michal. This came up different times when people were talking about the difficulties in getting to Rabbein Azal Sin. <clears throat> and they would say, it's not as difficult as coming from the next world. Rav Nosanzal said he would be willing to come down from Olam Ha, from the next world to this world, if he were assured that he would be able to have the opportunity once to be there. So imagine, we who are in this world, when the opportunity is available for a person to go, and if we're talking about Erev Rosh Hashanah, that's a whole different league, that's a completely different level of, of a, a tikkun for a person's nefesh. An additional very important point and I, I, this, I, I, I'm not sure exactly where this is. This might be in Chayam Aran, or it might be in one of the other Sforim, <clears throat> that Rabbein Azal once said that a person who comes to his kever and recites the ten chapters of Tikkun Akloli there and gives something Tzedakah on behalf of Rabbein Azal's Neshama, that person will not experience Gilgal. That person will not have to come back again. So again, this is one of the incredible benefits <clears throat> of a person going to Rabbein Azal and, and saying the Tikkun HaKloli there, that a person is assured that this is their last, final visit to this world. We should be zeichet to, to use our time in this world properly. We know the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avos <clears throat> that one minute in, of Olam Haba, the pleasure of one moment in Olam Haba is infinitely greater than all the pleasures in this world combined, and at the same time, one moment in this world, the opportunity to do a mitzvah in this world, exceeds anything that's being offered over there. The story is told about the Vilna Goyim, that right before he passed away, <clears throat> his students saw that he was crying, and they said, you know, what are you crying about? Your whole life was Torah serving Hashem to the best of your ability. He said, I'm crying over the fact that I'm leaving a world where for five ruble, a person can buy a pair of tzitzis. A person can can have tzitzis, where a person putting on tzitzis is credited as if they performed all 613 mitzvahs. And I'm going to a place where I can no longer do that. In the next world, the Pasuk says, Bameisim chafshi. Once a person passes away, they are free from mitzvahs. They can, they're exempt from performing any mitzvahs. This is why the halacha says when a person goes into a cemetery, a Jewish cemetery, that those people who wear their tzitzis out should, should cover them because showing your tzitzis, having the grave see your tzitzis, it's as if chas v'shom, you're teasing them that I can do a mitzvah and you can't chas v'shom, that, that kind of attitude. Any questions, please? Still part of this same paragraph, Rav Nassim Zal adds, 
at the time that this discussion was taking place, that we were standing in front of Rabbeinazal, that Sunday, Rabbeinazal told me to repeat the shear that he had given on the Shabbos, on the previous winter in Parshas Yisroi, which he had given. <coughs> this There's a whole story behind this shear that one of Rabbeinazal's great students was called the Trovitzer Magid, the Magid from the city of Trovitz. This rabbi, the Trovitzer Magid, before he came to Rabbeinazal, he was a Magid over 80 cities. He was the person who was appointed to travel to these 80 cities and give Musar, speak to the people, and the people would support him. And the Trovitzer Magid, when he met Rabbeinazal, he was much older than Rabbeinazal, and he spoke to him, and he saw that despite the fact that Rabbeinazal was much younger than him, he was on a completely, completely different level spiritually. And the Trovat Samaget told his students that from this point on, I'm no longer a rabbi, I'm no longer a rabbi, I'm becoming a student by Rabbi Nachman. And he did, he was very, very close to Rabbeinazal. There are several stories about their interaction. One story is that Shrovet Samagid had a question that was bothering him that he had asked other rabbis and nobody was able to answer the question. And he came to Rabbeinazal for a Shabbos and Rabbeinazal, that Shabbos, brought up the question without the Shrovet Samagid telling him the question. Rabbeinazal gave a whole shear, a chapter in Likut Imran, where he brought up the question and gave an incredible answer to the question. The question was, Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, all the tzaddikim of the past were broadcasting Hashem to the world. They were teaching the world about Hashem. And they definitely wrote books. They wrote sfarim that they would give to their students to study about Hashem, about serving Hashem. Where are all of those books? of all the previous generations that we don't have. Where are they? And Rabbein Azal gave an incredible sheer explaining that you're right, there were these Sfarim, but in order, in order that certain philosophy books that were written by people who were against religion, and those books, if they were in the world, they could chas v'shom really bring many, many people to leave religion, to leave faith in Hashem, Hashem said, let these holy books be unavailable in order that those other books also should be unavailable. I'm giving this very, very briefly in Likut Imran, Rabbein Azal gives, I believe it's chapter 32 in the second half of Likut Imran, where Rabbein Azal gives this explanation. The Trovet Samaga heard this and he, he couldn't believe his ears. He couldn't believe that, number one, Rabbein Azal knew what he was thinking, knew his question, gave an answer to a question which nobody else was able to answer. And when he went back home to his city, he met his son-in-law, Reb Yitzchak, who was also a tremendous Talmud Chacham. And Reb Yitzchak asked him, how was your trip? How are you? And he grabbed his son-in-law and said, what are you asking me about how my trip was? Why don't you ask me about what I heard? Do you know what I heard when I was there? I had a question that had asked so many leading rabbis and nobody was able to answer. And, and my Rebbe, not only did he anticipate the question, I didn't tell him, but he gave an incredible clear answer to resolve the question. So now, the part that we're up to right now, Rabbi Nassau told Rabbi Nassau, I want you to review 
tell over to the son-in-law of the Trevet Samaga, tell him over that shir, that chapter in Likud Imran, chapter 32 in the second half of Likud Imran. And Rav Nosson Zal said, I, I was forced to do it. I had to do it. Rav Nosson said to do it. So I told over that entire Torah to Rav Yitzchak and to the other people that were standing there. And all of this was in the presence of Rav Nosson. We know that there's a a, 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 a halacha that a, a student is forbidden to state a law in front of his rabbi. But to give over a Dvar Torah, especially if the rabbi tells you to say a Dvar Torah, of course he was allowed to. So Rav Nosanzal says that when he finished, Rav Nosanzal spoke up, he quoted a Pasuk in Mishle, where the Pasuk says, Salseleho u'serei memeko. The Pasuk speaks about the Torah and says, praise it and exalt it. The Torah is so great. And Rabbi Nassau was excited and he said, is there anybody else? Is there anybody in the presence of Hashem that extols the Torah in such a way like I do? Meaning, he was telling, he was saying that this chapter of Likut Imran that he gave was something incredible, something really extraordinary, unusual, where Rabbeinazal was able to use parts of the Torah that people learn and would have no idea that it's related to that question. And Rabbeinazal was able to take, make a whole beautiful Dvar Torah to be able to answer the question of the Trovet Samagid and thereby explain many other things. So Rav Nassau writes that Rav then spoke about the incredible gift that Hashem gave him, that his Divrei Torah are so special. Any questions, please? Question in the chat on a term that we used before, Biror Hamedame. Does comparing any two items require Biror Hamedame? The answer is, if the two items are similar, medame, medame means to compare. Now, usually this is talking about things that look similar or, or are similar in many ways and could be confused. And you need a person, a person needs a good eye or a good brain to be able to tell what's real and what's not real. We know there's real jewelry and fake jewelry. And sometimes the fake jewelry could look more real than the real jewelry. And it takes a mumcha, somebody who's been trained properly, whether it's jewelry, whether it's a diamond, to value a diamond, things that are really very valuable. It takes an incredible uh, uh, ability sometimes. And one person has, has an eye, Another person doesn't have the eye. Another example of this is especially when it comes to maros. We know that a woman goes through different periods where blood comes, and depending on where the blood is coming from, depending on all kinds of factors that determine whether the, the bliss, this blood coming from the woman makes her tame or not. Is she tame for seven days, etc.? <clears throat> And, and this requires training for a rabbi to be able to tell the different shades of red and brown and yellow, to be able to tell whether this is actual blood or not, whether this stain is blood or not, and where this blood is coming from. Is it coming from a cut in the skin, or is it coming from the mocker, from the source? 
And I remember hearing from my Rebbe Rav Rosenfeld, that this is, an, again, a case where you can have people who are very learned, who learn a lot, but they don't necessarily have the eye, the ability to differentiate colors, to be able to tell the differences in colors, <clears throat> and thereby to be able to determine. And here it's a decision, sometimes a very, very critical decision as to whether a woman is pure kosher or chas or she's not permitted to be with her husband. All kinds of factors here that are very important. And I remember Rav Rosenfeld said at the time that there were big rabbonim that people went to and he saw how these rabbis decided <clears throat> some of these things and it was clear, it was obvious that they didn't have the proper training or they didn't have the eye for it. <clears throat> I remember him saying at the time, this is going back 50 years ago, there was a rabbi in Yerushalayim at the time. <clears throat> His name was Reb Nochum Yitzchak Frank. He was a person who came from a Litvish family and became a Breslover. And he was a very tough person. And Rav Rosenfeld didn't agree with him in many different areas of, of Yiddishkeit. But he told his students, when he wasn't available, this is the person to go to for Maros. He has an eye that, and, and, and he knows to be able to differentiate correctly between all the different colors and shades. And he mentioned that this, this rabbi had training by Rav Henech Padova, one of the leading rabbis in, from England at the time, who was known to be a tremendous Talmud Chacham, a tremendous Paisek. And again, these rabbis had this gift, the ability to be able to, to recognize kosher from non-kosher in these items that are very difficult and delicate to be able to tell. Any questions, please? I'd like to hold it here for now because the next paragraph I don't want to rush through. It's something very, very important. We're up to Tough Mem Zion, 447. In Yitzhak this evening, I'm scheduled to be traveling to the United States. The Sunday Shear, I hope, will continue. I hope we'll have it during the time that I'm in the United States also, if at all possible, Mitz Hashem. We'll get the word out to people. The weekday shir, the, the daily Likute Alocha shir, we'll have only on Monday mornings and Thursday mornings, Mitz Hashem. Wishing everybody a good week and asking everybody to please keep me in mind for Hatzlacha. Leaving Eretz Yisrael anytime is a, is, has an element of danger to it and hearing what's going on in the world today, in America, in New York, all kinds of different places, a person needs major shmira, major protection. Hashem should watch over all of us in Eretz Yisrael, outside of Eretz Yisrael, to protect us physically and spiritually from any harm. We should be zeichet to the to the geula shleima, to the coming of Moshiach, the building of the final base of Mikdash. Meher v'yameinu, amen v'yameinu.